0: It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio KCAW Sitka. Today is Tuesday, July 25th, 2023. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. The final plan for Sitka's long-awaited marine haul-out will come before the Sitka Assembly tonight for approval. For the last year and a half, following the closure of the haul-out at Halibut Point Marine, Sitka's fishing fleet must travel out of town to haul out their boats or wait for a spot on the city grid. The plan adopted by the board of the Gary Paxton Industrial Park, called Concept 4, will include a 150-ton travel lift, haul-out pier, and temporary washdown pad. Voters approved 8.2 million dollars to fund a haul-out last October, but the first phase of the project is now set to cost around 14 million dollars, leaving the park short around 6 million dollars. The Assembly will also consider whether to put two propositions on the ballot in this fall's municipal election, both dealing with schools. The first would ask voters whether to permanently establish a 1% seasonal sales tax to fund repairs and replacement of school buildings. The second would allow city employees to serve on the Sitka School Board. The Sitka Assembly meets at 6 p.m. tonight. Raven News will broadcast the meeting live following Alaska News Nightly. Each year, the Portland-based nonprofit EcoTrust honors indigenous leaders from around the Pacific Northwest. This year, two people from Southeast Alaska were among the eight honorees. KCAW's Catherine Rose spoke with Louise Brady, who was honored for her work with the Herring Protectors, a local advocacy group that's grown exponentially over the last seven years, reaching new corners of the state and country with its mission to protect Pacific herring, support harvesters, and promote
1: traditional ecological knowledge. My Tlingit name is and I am Raven Moyeti and I am Kiksadi from here in Sheetka, grandchild of the Kaguantan wolf clan and we Kiksadi women are known as the Herring Ladies. My English name is Louise Brady.
2: For listeners who might be unfamiliar with what are the herring protectors and um, how the group um, came to be organized back in, I think it was 2016. Yes.
1: 2016 was an interesting year. Um, Standing Rock really brought attention to a lot of things that are happening in what's called Indian country. And one of those things being, um, you know, the ex- extractive industry, and the oil company wanting to build a pipeline on Standing Rock territory. And as it was gaining momentum, things were happening in Standing Rock, and we were all watching what was happening. There was definitely an escalation. And I think a lot of people in 2016 were feeling pretty helpless, really wanting to do something to Support um, the folks in Standing Rock that were really taking a a courageous stand. And we're talking about maybe doing a clam chowder uh, sale or fry bread sale. And then um, a friend of mine said, Well, there's another group that wants to do a fundraiser as well. Why don't you meet with them? And I said, Okay, sure, why not? What do they want to do? And she said, Well, they want to do yoga for. Standing Rock, which I thought was very interesting. That's not something that I would have thought of as a fundraiser. And I feel like, uh, you know, that was the beginning of bringing together folks who a lot of times don't associate. And we ended up raising, I think, just under $10,000. We decided to meet after the fundraiser and probably about eight of us, it wasn't a large group. And we decided we wanted to do something um, locally. And I suggested herring because in 1997 I had worked with the staff at the Sika Tribe of Alaska uh, to organize people to testify at the Board of Fish. Because herring eggs are very special to us. uh, Thlingit people all up and down the coast. And actually I've been finding out all throughout Alaska, everybody loves herring eggs. It was a resounding yes. And... So the next step was, well, what are we going to do? And I said, well, let's have a kuik, And I was the only slingit person there, and they were like, well, what's a kuik? I said, well, it's really hard to explain, but this is what we need to do. And so we started, um, actually it took a while for us to get started. We wanted to organize a kuik, which is basically a feast before the Board of Fish meeting. Herring protectors started growing, And people wanted to do more. People wanted to keep gathering. So we have throughout the last, well, since 2017, really done a lot together, together. And I think that's the key.
2: You're being honored by EcoTrust with an Indigenous Leadership Award this fall. How do you feel about your work and leadership being honored?
1: I was talking with some friends, and I said, you know, I never have really aspired to any kind of leadership position, and i really rather consider myself an introvert. And I really hope that I come to the work with humility and service. I think more than anything, I'm really grateful that Ecotrust, uh, this recognition, will help us to spread the word about, you know, herring protectors and about why our traditional lifestyles are so important. Because I think it's easy for people to get behind, you know, the Tongass National Forest or public lands or things that might more directly affect them. We have to get people to care about herring.
0: You just heard an excerpt from an interview with Louise Brady, who was recently honored with an Indigenous Leadership Award from Ecotrust. You can find the full interview on our website at kcaw.org later today. The Mendenhall Glacier is one of Southeast Alaska's most visited tourist attractions. But midway through the region's busiest ever tourist season, it's already reached its capacity for commercial tours. As KTOO's Katie Anastas reports, tourists are now using Juneau's city bus to get there.
2: If you're visiting Juneau on a cruise and want to see the Mendenhall Glacier, you'll probably want to book a tour. Tour buses take passengers straight to the glacier in about half an hour you could take the city bus. At $2 per person, it's a fraction of the price of a commercial tour. But the closest stop is one and a half miles away. Those were the factors Ron Verhill and his wife Lucy were weighing when they got off their cruise ship this morning.
1: I wanted to take the city bus because I want to save some money. And Lucy wanted to, um, she wanted to take a tour bus. So we're still kind of on the fence about which way we're gonna go
2: but they quickly learned that the tour bus was not going to be an option for them. So by late afternoon, they were on the city bus. It had taken up most of their day in Juneau.
1: Well, the bus is a bit of a milk run, but uh, it was okay. It was quite a long walk, that long walk and uh, about one and a half kilometer or miles.
2: The U.S. Forest Service allows more than 500,000 people to visit the glacier on commercial tours each season. Usually, companies have enough permits to sell same-day tours throughout the summer. But now, halfway through what's shaping up to be Juneau's biggest tourist season yet, they've already sold out. That's driven more tourists to take the city bus. And the higher demand is taking a toll on Juneau residents. Drivers report leaving up to 29 people at stops because their buses are too full. Alexandra Pierce is the city and borough of Juneau's tourism manager.
3: Yeah, I've heard anecdotally about people not being picked up at Fred Meyer with their groceries, say, or somebody missing a flight because they were relying on the city bus to make their their plane connection.
2: But Pierce says the city can't prevent tourists from taking public transportation.
3: Like, if you or I go to New York and ride the subway or London and ride the tube, you know, we wouldn't get a little... Stop on the turnstile that says, Oh, you don't live here. And it's the same thing here. Public transit is available to everybody and needs to be available to everybody.
2: If Capital Transit has spare drivers, it can add more buses to popular routes. But with a statewide driver shortage straining both the city and tour companies, that can't happen often enough to meet the demand. At a Juneau Assembly meeting earlier this month, member Michelle Hale urged city leaders to find a solution.
0: Often, um, the people that ride the bus are some of our most poor citizens, um, not always, of course, um, and and might uh, be might not have access to even figure out who to make that complaint
2: to. In an effort to reduce pressure on the bus system, the city has issued additional permits for the parking lot by the Brotherhood Bridge. Tour companies are taking tourists there to see the glacier from a distance. The city has also hired a consultant to help figure out how capital transit can meet the needs of residents and tourists during the season. Pierce says the strain on public transportation points to key challenges Juneau faces when it comes to tourism.
3: We have a shore excursion supply and demand problem in Juneau. Um, If I could characterize simply our two biggest tourism issues, it's a volume problem. There are just a lot of people. And there's a supply and demand problem that we are running out of having enough things for those people to do. We've always been a destination where there's a lot of options and a lot to do, but we just have too many people now.
2: She says the consultants should have recommendations ready for city leaders next month. In Juneau, I'm Katie Anastas.
0: I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News.